Welcome to Focus Life. Focus Life is the official podcast of Focus Youth Ministries of Peru Grace Brethren Church. Here we will seek to learn what it means to live the Christian life in this sinful and rebellious world. I'm Pastor Jordan, and this is Focus Life. Hey, Focus. Welcome to episode two. We are going to finish up the sermon on embracing suffering that we began last week. As you consider the suffering in your own life, remember that it points you to Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And be sure to wait until the end, because I'll have some concluding thoughts for you. Enjoy. Thirdly, we can embrace suffering Because the Holy Spirit is interceding perfectly to God the Father with our present needs. Look at verses 26 to 30. And in the same way, in the same way as our bodies and in the same way as creation, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice, creation is groaning. If you are saved, you are groaning. And now the Holy Spirit is groaning. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In our state before final redemption, before we are glorified, we are still weak on our own. In the various sufferings that we face, we don't know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit that is in us knows our needs. We may think we know our needs and take those needs to God and be like, God, this is what should be done. And then we're left questioning when that's not what is done. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit in us knows what needs to be done, knows our exact needs, and takes them to the Father. And then we know That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. 
the Holy Spirit takes our needs to the Father and intercedes for us according to God's will. Understand that when it says groanings too deep for words, this is not talking about tongues. Because, uh, or, or some speech that we use that is unintelligible that we use to talk to God. That's not what's going on here. We are not the ones speaking. The, the, the phrase too deep for words literally means unspoken or unuttered. You and I do not hear this communication. Because it is the mysterious communication of the triune Godhead. Not only does the Holy Spirit take our needs to God. So does the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look over at verse 34, you will see that Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And so it should give us great resolve and great encouragement to know that God knows exactly everything that we are going through and he knows what our exact needs are in this moment even if we don't rightly know because not only is it is he omniscient but the holy spirit that dwells in us is communicating and our lord jesus who knows what it is to be human and tempted and tried and suffer in all ways that we do is there at the right hand of God, victorious, sharing our needs. Here is the beauty of it. God doesn't just rest on his laurels with that information. To those who love God, he causes all things to work together for their ultimate good. What is their ultimate good? You see it in verse 29. Their Christ-likeness. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. This is our, our putting off sin and putting on righteousness presently as we await that glorious day when we will be made perfectly righteous. The day of our, of our unveiling the day when we are revealed to be children of God, the day of our glorification. Do you see the common theme through all of the groanings here? And where they lead, they point us to that very moment we are in the glory of Christ forever. In fact, every moment Every groaning 
is now sovereignly being used and purposed by our good and loving God for our ultimate good. Look, just look at what God has done for his people. He foreknew them. He, this is the determinative will of God to bring about the salvation in someone's life. He predestined them. This is the final goal, the destiny of the foreknown. It's the, the foreknowledge is the beginning and the, 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 the predestined is the ending of God's plan. And in that time in between is the progressive sanctification. It's what we are experiencing now. It refers to the journey we are on right now before the glorification. And just so we don't miss it, Christ is the firstborn. The prototokos, the preeminent one. The, the thing that, the, the, the person that all salvation is modeled after. The one who is the beginning and end of our salvation. The founder and the perfecter of it. The one who we are being conformed into his image. Our salvation, our present sufferings, glorify Christ. Because it was through Christ that this wonderful plan of salvation has been accomplished from beginning to end. It is, we, God, call, <coughs> excuse me, God calls us. This is the moment in time that you and I responded to the call of salvation, to the gospel. It's the effectual call. God justifies us. This is the result of our salvation. This is being declared righteous in God's sight. Being said to be not guilty. When Christ was declared guilty on our behalf. On the cross. And we are glorified. We are glorified. This is the moment we are in glory forever. And even though we haven't experienced it yet, our glorification is just as certain as our justification. You see that? Glorified. It's actually an aorist tense. That doesn't mean a whole lot to you other than it is just the, the comprehensive salvation that we have. It is decidedly going to happen. Not only have we been decidedly saved from the wrath of God, we have been decidedly glorified. And we haven't faced, experienced that yet, but it is just as certain. And so as you and I face the day, as you and I face the sufferings of this present era, 
we can embrace them because our good, loving, and sovereign God is using them and purposing them for our Christ-likeness. To make us like Jesus. Fourthly, we can embrace suffering because in Christ, we are overwhelmingly conquerors. Look at verses 31 to 39. We're going to break these down. Um, there are several, what I would think at this point in the, in the letter to Rome would be um, rhetorical questions because they have already been answered in Paul's writing. But Paul answers them anyway because he is exploding with this, this truth of the gospel. So look, let's look at verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the sufferings that we face? What shall we say to this glorious salvation that we are presently experiencing and will one day experience in full? What shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. The God who gave his son to redeem us is not going to have his plan fail. God is not in danger of failing in his purpose and plan for our lives. He will give us all things. He will give us the kingdom. That is his promise. Verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather was who Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. God has chosen those that will be saved and those who have placed their faith in Christ are justified. If God has said this verdict to them that they are declaratively righteous. If God is the one who says this, who's going to overturn the verdict? There is no power in the heavenlies or on this earth that can turn that verdict around. Whether that is you or whether that is Christianity being made illegal, no verdict or no one 
can overturn God's verdict. Therefore, no one can thwart God's promise of future glorification. And Paul continues this point in the next verses. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. What we were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We share Christ's victory over sin, over Satan and his minions. And we share it so much that we can know that no amount of suffering in this present life will ever take us out of the plan of God. And so we can embrace it. We can welcome the suffering. Because God is using it for His good purposes. Please don't twist my words here into the thought that you should seek out and find suffering. I am not saying that. But when suffering inevitably comes our way, we can embrace it knowing that it is a part of the loving plan of God pointing you forward to the glorious reality of dwelling with Him in perfection for all eternity. Of a time coming swiftly where we will taste the fullness of the salvation that we have right now. As we face the day, embrace the suffering, knowing that God is working out His plan and God is faithful. Stand with me, please. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful 
for your great promise of salvation. We thank, we thank you, O oh God, that you have saved us from our sin. And we thank you, O oh God, that there is coming a time when we are going to be saved from the presence of it. And so as we face suffering now, we ask and pray that you would help us to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for staying to the end as we finished our sermon on embracing suffering and how it will help us in our Christ-likeness as we live in this world and as we look forward to the day that we will be with Christ forever. One of the things that I wasn't able to share in the sermon when I preached it was the fact that in our suffering, we can be examples of Christ to the people around us. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, please open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. It says this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Now, what's going on here? You see that if you suffer from uh, someone, whether that's your master, uh, we could probably contextualize this to our employer. If we suffer under our employer for doing wrong, you're not going to get any credit for it because you are justly suffering for it. But if you suffer under your employer for doing right, for living a righteous life, then that finds favor with God. How does that find favor with God? What, what does that mean? Well, it shows that you are being like Christ. And that we see in the following verses. Look at this. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. What do we see here? We get to be Christ to those who would cause us to suffer. If they are treating us unjustly, we get to be Christ to them. Not that we get to bear their sins, but if we suffer graciously to those that would cause us to suffer, we then can be an example of what Jesus did for us. Look at this, verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you are continually straying like sheep, 
but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. There's a couple things that we can point out here. First, we see that Christ suffered righteously. We, and we see that he suffered as a pattern, as an example for us to follow. So if and when we face suffering, we must follow Christ's example in suffering. What did, was Christ's example? Well, you see that in verse 22 and 23. Not committing any sin, not being deceptive, not reviling back, not reviling in return when he was reviled, and not threatening anyone. But in the midst of his suffering, he exercised trust in his heavenly Father. So when you and I suffer in this world, as we will, we entrust ourselves to our Heavenly Father while doing our best to live out the righteous life, to doing our best to live like Christ would. What happens when we fail? What happens when we fail to, to live out that righteous life? Well, we get a glimpse of what Christ did for us on the cross by bearing our sins, past, present, and future. Christ took those on himself. Everything that we have ever done against the law of God, against God's character, was placed on Christ, on the cross, and then he bore the wrath of God for us. That's grace. He took God's wrath. He took hell for us. And then he died. And then he rose again. And if you and I would place our trust in him, he would give us that new life. But there's something else here. That, like, that is the gospel. That is what Christ has done for us. And that is the foundation and basis of everything that we do. We live righteously because Christ lived righteously for us. We live righteously out of gratefulness for what he did for us on the cross. But there's something else here. When you and I suffer, we often like to recount how unjust it is, how we, how often we are being mistreated and we like to count those out and, and make sure everybody knows and, and, and we like to get what's ours because, well, it's my rights that are being infringed, right? Well, notice that we were the ones that caused Christ to suffer. We were the overbearing master, if you will. Do you see that? Look at verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. We caused Christ to suffer on the cross, but it was through Christ's suffering that we are healed if we place our faith and trust in him. What a wondrous Savior! What amazing grace that is. 